That's fantastic. Thanks, team. Thanks, team. It's a beautiful moment when we can just pause in the presence of God and let God minister to us. Absolutely powerful. Well, uh, before I get into preaching this evening, we're going to hear from the Word of God, which is always more important, and love to welcome Jessica, who's going to bring us the Word tonight. Make her feel welcome. Today's passage is from 1 Corinthians 7, 8 to 9, and 32 to 40. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. 32 to 40 says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. Sorry, breathing pregnant. How she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to and his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do that. He should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man does not marry this but he does not marry her. So then he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jessica. Making you do it pregnant, that's not very fair. Although... I did really enjoy that you paused right before the bit about a married woman's, uh, one of the married woman's passions is to, you know, please and care for her husband. There's just this pause as if you're, you know, still working that out. No, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, how good was that worship? What a beautiful moment of worship we had tonight. And tonight I get to speak on being single, which is fun. Obviously, I'm a bit of a hypocrite not being single, but I have been single before. So I'm going to have to delve like right back into the analog recesses of my mind to talk about being single. And, th- and this is really fun, I think. Or it's fun for me, again, because I'm not single. So again, the hypocrite here is preaching. But it's fun for a bunch of reasons because this is stuff we have to explore as a church. We have to, because this is stuff that matters to us as human beings. It's part of relationships, and our relationships are so critical because they shape who we are, they shape how we feel, they shape how we interact with each other. This stuff matters. So last week I opened this series, our Relationship Goals series, and that first message is up on the podcast already. Check it out. Uh, By talking about how our actual goal should be to build all our relationships on the love of God for us, and not our love for God or for anybody else, but on God's love for us. That's where we need to build our trust. That's where we need to place our strength. Amen? So that's where we started off. And then tonight I'm going to use that and jump into talking about being single. I've called this single like Jesus. Single like Jesus. So if you're single or married or somewhere in between, you'll find something in this message for you because 
I want to pose this idea, that God's plan for single people is exactly the same as his plan for married people. Okay? I'm going to explain why later on. That's the mystery. Yeah. How good's a mystery? Let me pray, and uh, then I'll unpack a bit. God, we pray tonight that your holy word will be so clear to us tonight, that your vision for singleness will be clear for us as well, and that your love will be felt as we encounter your presence. And tonight as I was praying, Lord, you reminded me again that you are about the one. You are for the one. You are for the one. You are chasing us down. If we feel like the one, if we feel like we are alone or distinct or separate in some way, we know that your spirit is chasing us down. And we thank you. And we just welcome you into our hearts and minds tonight. ask that you would help us be open to what you've got for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So last week, I shared a little bit about my worst dating story, aka my only dating story. And you can find out more about that by going on the podcast, okay? Again, another little plug for the podcast. We accept five-star reviews only. Five stars. Jump on there. It's great. Um, but my, seriously, before I started dating Jenny, my next most serious girlfriend was when I was 12 years old. 12 years old. It was real. Like, I met the parents and everything. But still, between them and 22, when I started dating Jenny, it's quite a gap to not have a meaningful relationship uh, in terms of dating anyway. Basically, I just made a bunch of terrible efforts at dating girls, um, trying to randomly hook up with girls, more often the trying part than the hooking up part. Um, Then I became a Christian when I was 19. And after about sort of six months or so of working out, you know, who I was and who God was and starting to work that stuff out, it became pretty clear that the church I was at, the church I came to faith at, was kind of like the central markets for single people. Like, you could just go in there and, and shop around, push your trolley, and it's like, oh, that's nice. Oh, you know, there, there were a lot of single people, a lot of single people, and they were all very interested in the other single people. And I, I didn't really know what the Christian dating scene was like, and it's, and it's really strange, but it's also very easy to feel like the last fish swimming in the pond. Very, very easy. Because... Christians date early. Well, everyone dates early, but Christians marry early. They date with intent early. And you can actually feel even lonelier again. And I felt kind of isolated in this way until I tried my first date with a Christian girl, which, as I said, went terribly wrong. And uh, I remember at the end of this date, I, I went on a holiday with my family. I was in Sydney, and I distinctly remember just lying in bed one night, looking at the ceiling, trying to get to sleep, and just staring at the ceiling and thinking, what, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I don't know if you've ever asked that question before, but it's one of the darkest things we can ask ourselves. I don't think it's necessarily a bad question to ask because I think it implies self-reflection and it implies some introspection. And that's really healthy. But what it also does is it destroys our self-esteem. And that's totally unhealthy. And the problem is, that when we ask what's wrong with me and we're asking it because we haven't got the date we wanted or we're not in the relationship we want, we're telling other people that they can judge us from afar and that that will define how we see ourselves. And that's crushing. That's crushing. It almost guarantees that our self-esteem will be in a permanent state of anxiety. For single people, this counts double because we live in a society that I believe has elevated relationships above being single, right? Right? 
I really think this, and, and I'm going I'm to get into the church's part in this later, but I think effectively you could pick a whole bunch of things, but I think society has done two things broadly. First of all, we've elevated sex, right? Because we are told this lie, we are told this message that unless you're having sex, your life is not being fulfilled. You are not living a fulfilled life unless you're sleeping with someone. And I remember starting, I started dating Jen and I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, isn't a Christian yet. Come on. And, um, and he was talking to me about it. And he's like, so, so you guys are Christians? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, so you, but you're sleeping together, right? I'm like, well, no, we're not. Like, we don't think that's what God's wanting us to do. And he just, he actually just stared at me open mouthed. Now, he was driving at the time. <laughs> like, please look at the road. We can keep talking, but please look at the road. So I, I, he honestly couldn't put sentences together to coherently say, how can you be in a relationship without sex? He just didn't have that. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie The Big Sick. Great film. If you haven't seen it, it's really worth watching. It's about uh, the Pakistani-American comedian Kamal Nanjiani, the guy from, um, oh, what's it called? Um, Silicon Valley. He's on Silicon Valley. Very funny guy. And it's sort of autobiographical and it talks about how he met his wife. And when he meets his wife, um, he, he meets her and he likes her and they go back to his place and they sleep together. And there's this really interesting and kind of broken line where um, they sleep together and then she gets up and starts getting dressed and he goes, you know, you can, you can just sleep here if you want. And she's, she's joking, but she's also serious. And she says, listen, I may be the kind of girl who sleep with you on the first date, but I'm not the kind of girl who sleep over on the first date. And I just listened to that and went, oh, wow, that's, that's broken. We can give our bodies to people without any worries, but we can't spend time with them emotionally and in that place of vulnerability. Sex can be a commodity, but it can't be just something we move to afterwards. It's really interesting. So the message we get is that if you aren't having sex, are you even living? The, the second thing we have is spouses. We are, we are a bit obsessed with relationships and we're obsessed with spouses in Australia, and I think we've done this mostly by accident, okay? I think the sex thing has a lot to do with marketing, but I think the spouse thing has a lot to do with accidents. But the accident is this. We've built most of our milestones and celebrations around having a spouse and a family. Your birthday, who are you inviting first? Family, weddings, funerals, births, anniversaries. Now, there's nothing wrong with this except it has meant we've accidentally relegated singleness to second-hand status because nobody celebrates Singles Appreciation Day, which maybe we should start. I don't know, November the 4th next year, Singles Appreciation Day. Come on. I mean, there's less stuff to celebrate for singles if you're putting all of that stuff through the lens of family. I mean, you can celebrate graduations and pet birthdays and, you know, that's great. Like, God bless a good pet birthday, but I kind of feel like the more pet birthdays you're celebrating, you're not feeling less single, are you? You know? Like, I think there might be a chart where the volume of cats you own might be proportionate to the amount of single you are. I just, hey, look, look. No shots fired if you've got 27 cats here. <laughs> but please brush the hair off before you come here. This... So you could say that about cats, but you say anything about one dog and people are like, I will fight you right now. I'm going on my dog's Instagram to write something about that. <laughs> All the people with dog Instagram accounts squirm awkwardly. So this is a cultural problem. This is a cultural problem because it suggests that if you aren't having sex or you don't have a partner, you're not really living a fulfilled life. I don't think... 
I don't think this is a message we've been told intentionally, but it is a message we have. And the only alternative message we have that actually, if you look deep inside yourself, you'll find true fulfillment. We know that's not true because when we stop and look deep inside ourselves, all we see is another layer of ourselves asking the same deep questions. We know that's not true. Loneliness is a real present difficulty for many of us. What does Scripture say about it? Well, I'm glad you asked because, like, I just assume everyone's asking these questions. Like all uh, beautiful, rich documents, Scripture offers us some fantastic pictures of singleness and relationships. And I just want you to draw your attention to a couple. The first is in the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a really easy book to read in the Old Testament. It's four chapters long. It's written in a narrative style, so easy to read. And there are three main characters, and they're all single, all of them. You've got Naomi, you've got Ruth, and you've got Boaz. And the story here is that Naomi is this, uh, this woman with a husband and two sons, and the two sons are married, and one of the daughter-in-laws is Naomi. And they go to another land to live, and all the men die which particularly in that state, in that, in that day and age, in ancient Israel, was huge because, generally speaking, the widows couldn't provide for themselves. It was the men that were out working to provide for them. And so all the men die, and Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, you should go and leave me. I can't provide for you. I'm not going to be able to have another son for you. You're, you're too old for me to help you. Go out and find another son. And one of them obeys her, and the other one, Ruth, says, no, I won't. I think my call is to serve you. Even though I can't get married anymore, which is a status symbol in our society, I think God is challenging me and calling me to serve you with my life. And so she does. She moves back to Israel with Naomi and begins to uh, work on, on behalf of Naomi to make money. And that's their little family, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law. Like, it sounds like a nightmare for some of you sitting here. But for Naomi and Ruth, that was the dream. And Ruth begins to work by this little divine chance for a guy named Boaz, who also happens to be single also happens to be a really good guy. And Naomi sees what's happening, savvy mother-in-law, and steps back and starts pulling a few strings. And spoilers, Boaz and Ruth get married. But they never find their identity in the marriage. They found their identity in the calling of God for them before that. The other one I want to really quickly draw your attention to is a woman named Anna. We don't hear tons about Anna. Now, Anna's in the New Testament in Jesus' time, and she was married as well. And she was a widow, though, from about the age of 22. That's pretty young to be a widow. And at the age of 22, if you're a widow, for many, many people, they would just go out and get remarried. You're only 22. That's not a big deal. It's, you know, there's a lot of war. Medical work is not as good as it is today, obviously. So lots of people are passing away. And so a 22-year-old can go and get remarried. But she didn't. She decided that her calling on her life was to go into the temple and praise and worship and serve God for the rest of her life. And so she does. And we meet her in the story of Jesus when Jesus is a boy, a baby, in fact. And Anna is 84 years old, 60-odd years of service to God in the temple, praising God day after day. It says she served God night and day with fasting and prayer. Are you seeing the pattern here? It's not about not getting married again after something has happened in your life. It's about serving God wholeheartedly about taking everything in you and saying, it belongs to God. God, tell me what the next step is for me in my life. So it's good to see that there's healthy single people throughout the Bible. What does the church do with single people, though? Because we follow the Bible, right? We believe the Bible, we read the Bible, we listen to preachers who talk about the Bible. Surely we as the church must be doing a really good thing, obeying the Bible. 
Not so much, I think, because we do this thing, like I said, the single central market that it was like when I came to faith. We have this idea that we are single and some of our friends are getting married and so we better get married as quickly as possible. And you do what I did and you end up at age 21 going, I'm going to be single the rest of my life and I just need to come to terms with this Jesus. And God's looking down going, don't be so flippin' dramatic, Mike. You don't need to get married so immediately. I don't think it's been intentional that we've done this, right? It's not like we're trying to reject single people in the church. And just to be clear, podcast listeners, Encounter Church loves single people, okay? But I don't think the church has tried to do that, but we've done it by accident, by elevating marriage so high. We've turned marriage into an idol. We've taken something great and turned it into a false god, meaning sometimes churches filled with young adults basically turn out to be single bars. Just not yet, but... You know, it's the potential's there, isn't it? Every single person is saying, I'm not making any sound right now. Don't make eye contact with me. <laughs> i got to tell you, like, honestly, frankly, I'm okay with people coming here to find a spouse. I'm totally okay with that. You could do worse than if you are saying, I'm in a stage of life where I think God's calling me to marriage, then going, I'm going to influence this for a couple of Friday nights. Like, you could do worse than that. I'm not against that, honestly. Because relationships are good for people and people need to find healthy ways to get into relationships. I don't believe Tinder is the healthiest way to do that. Call me crazy. But what I'm not okay with is us building a church here at Encounter that sends a message that marriage equals good and singleness equals bad. I'm not okay with this. Because the truth is that if you are single and pursuing God wholeheartedly, you will have a healthier, more fulfilled life than somebody who is jumping from relationship to relationship. You will even have a more fulfilled life than somebody who has jumped headfirst into a terrible marriage and now feels stuck there. You will be much more fulfilled in the center of God's will for your life than you will be in trying to find the first person. So having said all of this, Let's jump into today's teaching passage and hear what the Bible is trying to teach us about singleness. So 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. This is part of the Apostle Paul's amazing letter to the church in Corinth. By the way, this is going to go a little long tonight because single people, you matter. So, all right, if we go a little long, deal with it. Part of the Apostle Paul's amazing letter to the Corinthian church. And this troubled church is full of people who claim to follow Jesus, but then they do whatever they want in their lives. So they're getting hammered, they're sleeping around with their stepmothers, no less. Not a good look for the Corinthian church. Uh, they're worshipping idols, they're ignoring the poor. You know, tough look, tough look. So in chapter 7, we get this incredible unpacking of marriage as Paul continues his teaching on what it looks like to be a healthy church. And I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter this week. Maybe that's a good thing to do with your your life groups. But let's jump straight into verse 8, okay? Paul says here, I say to the unmarried and to, unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. Kind of a mic drop. Like straight away, it seems like Paul is actually saying that the best thing for us is to be single because Paul is describing his own singleness, right? It's good for you to be unmarried like I am. But he's not. He's probably not. I've got some bad news. When you unpack that text and you look at the original Greek and you, and you start to unpack the culture, actually what it looks like Paul is saying is to the widows and the widowers who are like me, if you can stay unmarried, do it. Paul's saying, hey, I'm a widower. That's probably what he's saying. Nobody has 100% knowledge of this, but it seems most likely that Paul is saying, I was married and my wife died. And if you can be like me and not feel the need to get married again, 
I think that's the best thing for you to do. That's Paul's advice. Paul's not saying, by the way, this is what God says, okay? One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is to a widower and a widow, relatively young, get married. They had a child each in their previous relationship. Both of their partners died and they found each other and got married and have a beautiful relationship. It's incredibly powerful. But Paul's advice is if you can live without it, do it, okay? And then he goes on to speak a blunt and brutal truth. If you don't have self-control over your own body, you should get married rather than burn with sexual desire. Don't stay single and try and sleep around. Don't use singleness as an excuse to look at porn. If you have a strong sex drive, and you know it, Paul says, it is better for you to get married so that you don't sin. Now, that's some very practical advice. If you really need sex, get married. Do you know know what I mean? Like That sounds tough, doesn't that? That sounds maybe a little too practical. But, yeah, and certainly it is unhealthy if you're wanting to get married and you're just viewing your spouse as a sex partner. Can I recommend you don't do that? And certainly don't tell them that. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. This has been, though, can I tell you, this has been a huge problem in the church because guess what? Guess what? Unconsciously, a lot of 20-year-olds are thinking when they get engaged. (laughs) They're not saying it out loud. A lot of the time, they don't even mean to be driven by this, but there's a part of them going, oh, I flip and just can't wait to have sex. (laughs) Like, let's be real here. Let's be real. And that's not healthy. And I'm not having a crack at anyone in our congregation who did recently get married. I just want to be really clear. (laughs) Just in case that was rattling around your head, I am not talking about anyone specific. I am just saying, sometimes we let our body make the decisions for us. And Paul says that if we are like this, we may need to get married sooner rather than later. And gentlemen, I'm mostly looking at you. (laughs) If you are going to fall into sexual sin, you should pray, you should ask God to help you, and then you should probably set about finding a wife. Again, this sounds too practical, but here's one thing it does that's really healthy. It takes a little bit of the romance, the unhealthy romanticizing of relationships away. Because romance is beautiful. And romance lasts for a certain period of time naturally. And after that, you have to work at it. And guess what? If you have to work at it, that means you can actually work at it with anybody. That's part of what love is. It's the choice to pursue romance in your relationship, even when you're tired. Or even when you're like, oh, we've done 10 years of date nights, of TV again, (laughs) TV. You know, you've got to pursue this stuff deliberately. And Paul knows this. So he's saying, don't build your life on finding the one. Find the person God's calling you to be with and devote your life to finding God with that person. Let's jump to verse 32 now. Okay, The rest in the middle is really good to read in your own time. But Paul says this in verse 32, and I'd encourage you, read along with me if you can. There you go. What a great job Keith's doing, keeping up. Paul says, I want you to be without concerns. I want you to be without concerns. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Can I tell you something? Before I was married, when I was single, it was easier to pursue God's will and to do it because I only had one person to worry about. And believe me, I was a single, like an adopted only child. I was not worrying about anybody else at all. Right? It's even now, like it's, it's a stretch. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding mostly. But when, when, before I was married, I didn't have to worry about anybody else. I could pick and choose. That's the beauty of being single. You can choose when to be generous with your time. Like, yeah, I'm going to be heaps generous. Now I'm going to take six hours of me time because I can. Mom, you're cooking dinner? 
Anya, see you at six. You know, like you can do what you want generally, and it's easier to pursue God because you only have that one person to worry about. When you're a husband, you have to work out what your wife is interested in because she probably won't tell you, but she'll be mad if you don't know. So you need to work this stuff out, guys, real quick, real quick, because that is coming for you, all right? And as a father, I have children to teach and to learn and to grow. I can't just get a phone call from someone in the country who goes, hey, Mike, want to come preach to a country tour? Like, yeah, cool, let's go. Do you know why? Because the children won't be there when I get back. A, because family services will take them, but more likely because children just don't stay in one place for very long. They will just move. They'll be gone. I will never see them again. One will be in Zanzibar. It'll be Charlie. He won't know how he got there. This is, this is, going to, this is what it is like... When you just wander away from your responsibilities, you can't do it. But single people, you can to a degree. You can to a degree. When you're married, you will want to, you need to, you must please your spouse. Okay? Paul is not saying, don't be concerned about your spouse. He's just pointing out the truth that if you're not married, you're actually free from that. That's an advantage. So Paul goes on to explain married people are concerned about this. Single people have an advantage when it comes to serving Jesus. And most churches, and let's face it, this church is built largely in part by the service of single people, serving and loving Jesus. Not exclusively, of course. We have amazing married people and engaged people and and people who are dating who are serving here. But largely, we've been built on the back of great singles like yourselves, serving, pursuing the Lord, and giving up your time. And praise God. Praise God. It is an advantage. And so Paul says, mostly to widows, but probably to all singles, if you can put up with being single, there are some huge advantages. And that's important for you to remember when you're single. Verses 36, he goes on again about sexual sin. Paul doesn't mind talking about sexual sin. And he reminds the church in Corinth that if you're engaged, and honestly, you're just struggling to keep it together, just get married. Just move up the wedding date. And maybe... You know, it's okay. It's just one date in your life. Maybe instead of making it two years away, you should just make it six months away. Maybe that's actually a better idea. Maybe one of the problems in Australia is that we've glorified the wedding and forgotten the marriage. Like we're just looking to this one day and people are going, if I can just hold on to that one day. (laughs) Get out of here. You've got a life to live with this person. And day by day, you're going to grow into that. So Paul was saying, if you really can't, if you really are just dying and you know this is the person that God wants you to be with and you're going to marry them and you love them, just do it. Just get married. Make it shorter, right? It's fine. It's fine. But it is why you need pre-marriage counseling. That's why that's always healthy. So you can work out this stuff on your way to getting married. So Paul finishes this section by saying that if you can go on without being married for a while, though, if you can do a two-year engagement and it's no big deal and you're not spending your life in each other's pockets, do it. It's just more time you can spend serving Jesus. In the final two verses, verses 39 to 40, Paul talks about what we do when we have been married and are no longer married. He addresses divorce earlier in the chapter, and we'll look at that when we're doing the marriage week in a few weeks. But here he says that if your spouse passes away, marry whoever you want. Just be sure that they follow Jesus. He's really clear about this. So I just want to say that and leave it to one side and we'll dig into that more in marriage week. So you need to come along for that one. I'm not telling when that is. So you can come along every week. It's going to be great. Full finished by saying again that if you can remain single, do it. If you can remain single, do it. 
And that's great. And it gives us all hope and it reminds us that if we're single, that's okay. And it has advantages, actually. It really does have advantages. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes we're not single because it's God's season for us. We're single because maybe we've got a little bit of work to do on us. Um, there are sometimes reasons you're single. So this advice goes across both genders, but it does. the advice I'm about to give tends to lean a bit more one way or another. Ladies, I want to start with you. Um, don't be too needy in a relationship. Don't, can I just say as well, my wife gave me these, okay? I wasn't game enough to just come out and start firing shots at women. So like, Jen, you tell me what you think is good advice. I was like, I am going to get in trouble. So uh, Jenny can get in trouble for this. Ladies, don't, do, don't demand every moment of a guy's day. Like, for, for starters, men can't be told to do too much because there's this inbuilt rebellion if, if they're told what to do too much. But also, we just don't have the brain power to deal with, like, more than one instruction every three days. We don't. Like, every now and then, Jen will tell me something. We'll be in the kitchen, and Jenny's like, here's five things. Like, my wife's like a hurricane. You know that. She talks so fast. I, don't, I can't put up with it. I can't deal with that. And so she, she tells me... She tells me that. She tells me these things. I'm like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then she comes back 20 minutes later and she's like, did you do that stuff? I'm like, what stuff? The stuff I told you about. Like, I heard the first thing. And I did that. Is that good? Like, no, that's not good. Well, I'm sorry, that's all I've got the brain power for. So when you spend all your time with that person, you, you're breaking them. Trust me, it is not going to work out well. You need to help us by offering a bit of distance. Second bit of advice. This is the most important one. Love yourself before you try and love somebody else. Really love yourself. Know who you are and love yourself. This is going back to what we talked about last week. Find yourself in God's love before you try and love somebody else. Ask yourself, do I want a godly man or do I just want any man? Ask that question. Ask that question. Please, please, for the love of God, also never, if you're in a conversation and somebody says, you talk about who you're dating, and somebody says, oh, okay, and asks you a question that caused you to get defensive, if I hear you say, oh, they're a really nice guy, though, yeah, like, that's over. That's your moment when you know the relationship needs to end. If your best justification is they're, like, a polite person, just stop. You know you're in a bad relationship at that point, Okay. This drives me nuts. The amount of 16-year-olds I counseled as a youth pastor, they're like, oh, I know, but they're really supportive of me going to church. I'm like, what does that even mean? What's the alternative? Them standing there and going, I'll date you, but you have to leave church. It's like, nobody's doing that. Come on, think about it. Come on. Sorry. Sorry. Got on my high horse. Let me, just a moment. I'm just getting off my high horse here. Okay. Most guys are really nice while they're trying to date you. They have reasons to be nice while they're trying to date you, Okay. It's when you interrupt our watching the footy that you see the real side. And when you're thinking about needing a man, ladies, I do, I do want to add, ask yourself, do, do, you, do you really? Do you really? Because men are dumb. Like, God bless us, but we are. Um, without help, we can barely clean a toilet. Or more accurately, we probably just won't clean a toilet. Um, we smell bad. We're confused by the concept of vegetables. Think about your beautiful home, the way you carefully look after it. Are you sure you want a man changing a tire and then just walking into that space? Are you sure? Because they won't be wiping their feet on the doormat. In fact, they'll be asking, what's a doormat? You've got to think this stuff through if you're a lady. Do you really want a guy in this beautiful space? Just be very sure that's what you want. Okay. That was kind of like how an NBA player goes and takes a few warm-ups before the game. Gentlemen, time to get dunked on.
There are sometimes reasons why you are single. There are some very good ones. I'm going to start with a really low bar because I, I hope this. I hope you're all above this bar. Don't put up a hand if you're not. Shower every day. Please shower every single day, or but probably not every single day. If you do physical activity, have a shower. If you break a sweat, have a shower. If you go swimming in a swimming pool or in the ocean, have another shower. Well, that's probably a waste of water. No, it's a waste of your attempt to date somebody because it's not going to go well if you don't have a shower. Clean your teeth twice a day. Wear clean, ironed clothes. If it sounds like I'm talking to children, that might be the problem, mightn't it? Do these things. Let me move up just one more notch. Get a haircut. Get a haircut. It's fine. Get a haircut. Right, I'm speaking. I need a haircut right now. But there are plenty of guys. Like, the power of a haircut in making you feel good and in making you look better is unbelievable. And try and wear some fashionable clothes. I'm just making a suggestion. I don't really know anything about fashion, honestly. Um, And until I was 30 years old, I didn't even try. How I managed to get Jenny, I don't know. But I tell you who does know. Jessica's very fashionable. Jem's very fashionable. Christy's very fashionable. These people can be your fashion life coaches. Just ask them, say, please help. Please help. Lisa, you're very, very fashionable too. At this point, I'm just going to have to go around and tick everybody, okay? Okay, here's the thing. I'm not giving the women this advice, okay? Okay, we picking that up? They already know this stuff. Jeepers. Number three. Just ask a woman out on a date confidently and politely. Just, just do it. And if they say no, just go, okay, no worries. That's fine. That's fine. Here's what you shouldn't do. Think about it for three months. Build this person up as your potential spouse. And then, and then, and then, and then, oh, I'm sorry. I just don't see you that way. <laughs> Deflate like a balloon. Like, don't do that. If you think there might be something there, just ask them. What's the worst that could happen? They say no. All right, that's okay. No worries. I was talking to a guy uh, this week, a single guy, and I was like, mate, why aren't you with somebody? Like, you're, you're a catch. You're great. And he said to me, do you know what? Like, uh, you know, there is somebody I'm interested in, and frankly, it doesn't look like it's going that well. But I've only just started doing that this year because I really sense God saying at the start of the year that I had some stuff I needed to work on. And so I've spent the start of this year working on that. And it's only been the last couple of months I've started trying to pursue a date because I just knew that God had some stuff for me to work on inside, okay? That, and I just thought, this is a guy who probably next year is going to find a spouse because he's working on who he is on the inside. Here's another one, though. Here's another just free tip. Just go to the gym. Just go to the gym. Do it. Like, you don't have to end up looking as swole as Matt, right? That's probably not going to happen. He, he, he is just goals, all the goals. But just go. You don't, you don't have to... You don't have to kill yourself, but it's good for you. You're going to get an adrenaline fix. You're going to get endorphins. You're going to feel great. Oh, but I don't have enough money to get a gym membership. I'll tell you what's free. Outside. Outside is free. Go walking. Go running. Go for a walk. Go for a stroll around a lake. Pretend to be running. Just walk and then just look like you just stopped so that when somebody runs past you, you can just give them a nod. It doesn't matter. But you're getting out and about. You're getting some exercise. Not only will you start to feel better about yourself, but you'll look better too. This is shallow. I know it's shallow. But guess what? If you want people to read your amazing book, you better give it a snappy title and put a nice cover on it. It matters. There is a part of us 
that is purely animal, isn't there? We know there's an attraction element. Everyone's scandalized by this. I love it. Here's, here's my last one. No, no, this is much less scandalous. Raise up holy hands in prayer and worship. This is what First Timothy says. says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And this is exactly what Tom was inspiring us to do before. It's just like, just, just be vulnerable, be open, be confident in who you are before God, even as you're being vulnerable and quaking before the Lord of all. That is incredibly attractive. It is an attractive thing to say, I am willing to worship God. I am not afraid of what the people around me are thinking. I'm just going for it. There is something very attractive about that. And godly women are looking for godly men. And part of the reason I think there's so many, too many awesome single women in the church, the whole church, not just this church, is that they're single mostly because we guys aren't getting our act together. So gentlemen, please, please just take some of these simple ideas. And most of all, lift up holy hands. Work on your relationship with Jesus above all else. So, gentlemen, if you can be confident, self-aware, and clean, and following... (laughs) You're halfway there, guys. If you work on your relationship with Jesus, that's probably the rest of it. You're halfway there at that point. Okay. Obviously, some of this is tongue-in-cheek, but some of it, honestly, if, if it hits the mark, just remember it. Remember it. Know that even though being single is totally fine, if you don't want to be single, there are things you can do to put in place like that. Okay? So... The Bible tells us many things. Does it tell us, is it better to be single? Is it better? Well, the Bible does actually give us a clear answer here, and the answer is no. The Bible makes it clear that even though there's absolutely nothing wrong with singleness, and Paul encourages some people that if they can, stay in it, the Bible says that marriage is honoured as a covenant and a way of life that honours God, and, and even more than that, it's the picture that God uses throughout all of Scripture to describe our relationship with him. We, the church, the people of God, are described as the bride of Christ. At the end of days, Jesus is talked about having the wedding feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb of God, Jesus' wedding feast with the bride right next to him at the wedding feast. That's us. That's all of us. We get a seat at the table when we say yes to Jesus. And the relationship is so profound That scripture tells there's not going to be any more marrying or being given in marriage. There's going to be a sense that we are the ones to be given in marriage to Jesus. That's the power, that's the depth, that's the enormity of our relationship with Christ. And Genesis reminds us that it's not good for man to be alone. There's so many scriptures about the beauty and joy of marriage. The problem is when we keep acting like one is good and one is not. When the truth is both are great. Both are great. And whatever stage of life you're in, know that you need to cherish that stage of life. Now that I'm married I and have kids, I get to have things like I walked up into the car park this evening and Noah ran at me crying daddy and flung himself at me. You only get that when you've got a kid between the age of three and seven, right? After that, they stop. And before that, they can't walk properly, so they're not there yet. But this, this is something I can only get as a dad. But it also means that Tonight, Jenny's going out for dinner. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm going home with three children by myself. This is just how it is. There are advantages and disadvantages to both stages of life. And that's okay. And just own it and be thankful to God for the advantages in your stage of life. That's so important. 
We've already looked at how married people get distracted by marriage, but married people don't have disposable income. They don't have disposable time. Single people, you want to go to Lombok? Do it. Just do it. You don't have to ask a spouse. Just go. Your Instagram feed should be unbelievable. Go to the gym more often. I've heard that married people sometimes let themselves go. I've heard. Whatever. (laughs) You have an extraordinary amount of choice. What are the disadvantages? Well, you know the disadvantages. If you're single and following Jesus, you won't be having sex. If you're single and following Jesus, you may feel lonely. But just to address those two things, sex is good, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's not going to fulfill you. You're not purely an animal. Mike Pilavachi puts it this way. He's the pastor of Soul Survivor in England. He's 60 years old. He's been celibate by choice all his life. He says, why don't we be the generation who can be prophetic and say that you can live in a sexualized society and the world and live a whole, meaningful, satisfying, fulfilled life without sex? He lives it out in real life and he's deeply fulfilled. He has incredible relationships with people. Secondly, though, loneliness. This is a real thing. 35% of Australians live by themselves or by themselves with a kid. They have no adult companionship in their home. And so I just want to ask the question, why? And I think the answer, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, is control. The reason we live by ourselves is either because maybe we do feel a bit embarrassed about being an adult, you know, out of, you know, when you're a young adult, it's fine to share house, we all know that. But there's a, a stage where you go, I want to be past that stage of life. We know we feel that way. And so we assume that life is linear and you go from A to B and that's the way it goes, but that's not how life works. And if you are in a stage of life where you are single and you don't want to be single, maybe you just need to find someone to live with for a while. Like just a friend, just a friend to live with, to share life with. Because the reason we don't do it is because we don't really want to let someone in our space. That's the advantage of being single. You can control your space. You can you know, shape it, put it how you want. So if you're a man, that means just black leather couches and a big widescreen TV. But if you're a woman, that means you might actually decorate it. <laughs> and so you get to choose that space and how it is. You can have control over that or you can have companionship, but you probably can't have both. And that's one of the things you might need to think about. Why not share a house? Sure, it's messy, but life's messy. And it fills a huge gap in the loneliness we can feel. The other thing I really want to identify here, I promise I am starting to wind up, is that the church owes single people. We do. We owe you. We owe you great community. If we truly believe what I'm preaching here, that some people God is effectively calling to singleness, that they won't, they'll be single all their lives, or that other people will be together with someone for a time and then they won't, then our job, our job is to be the relationships for those people. Our job is to be the brothers and sisters, the aunts and uncles, the friends, the ones who when they are mourning, we mourn with them. When they're celebrating, we celebrate with them, that we make sure that they never walk alone. They're never by themselves. They are in Christ with brothers and sisters, not from a distance, but present. They're suffering. We go to their house. We make them dinner. We cook for them. We clean for them. We do whatever we need to do. We spend time with them. We listen to them. We pray for them. We are with you, single people. That's your job. If you are married, or if you're in a couple, invite a single person around for dinner with you. You don't need to invite a date for them. Just invite them. They're not a third wheel. That's in your head. Get rid of that and it won't be a problem. Just have a great time with them. If you think it's awkward, have five people over, six, seven. God is the God of one more and we're a plus one church always, always. Include people in what you're doing. Don't put boundaries around that. 
please, please, please. It matters for people's relationships and health. If it seems awkward, just take responsibility for it not being awkward. Help them. Just invite them over again. The church is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And we should be true, fulfilling community for single people. If we can't do that, then we're not fulfilling God's plan for us as a church. So finally, we come to Jesus. And the band, you guys can get back up. That'd be great. Because more than anybody else in Scripture, Jesus was very clearly single. There's no word, there's no suggestion of marriage or sexual relationships. The Bible is really clear about that. And he spent his entire ministry life, his public ministry life, which, mind you, is just three years, traveling. Right? He's, he's a clear model for single people. And maybe you're single and you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, Mike, that's great, but Jesus died at 33. So if I knew that was the end game, maybe I could deal with being single too. Also, by the way, he was the son of God. I feel like he has some advantages there. Okay. Okay, fair point. But the thing about Jesus was not his advantages. Because this is what it says to us in Hebrews 4. We know that we don't have a high priest in Jesus who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way just like us. Jesus came to earth to live a fully human life, tempted like us, faced with the same human struggles we face. But Jesus had one clear purpose, to do the will of God. John 6.38 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus' life was like a gigantic arrow pointing back to God. And just, I'll throw out a controversial opinion. I think in all likelihood, it bothered Jesus that he was lonely. It bothered him that he was single. I'm going to put it out there because if he was tempted in every way like us, wouldn't in some way one of the greatest temptations would be, especially in his culture where marriage was at such a premium, to say, why don't I just let my parents sort out a relationship for me? Of course it would have. Marriage was stronger in his culture than it is now. And we know Jesus was lonely. We know that in Gethsemane, he wept and wept tears of blood because he was so overwhelmed and so lonely. We know that on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only moment in human history where God was absent from the presence of a human. But above anything else, he devoted himself to being in the center of God's will and being satisfied in that. That's the one thing that satisfied Jesus. Not being married, not being single, but fully pursuing the will of God for his life. And going back to last week, being found in the love of God for him. Jesus' greatest asset was not being the Son of God, it was his relationship with God. And he worked on it again and again and again and again. You hear all the time, all these highlight reels of Jesus' ministry. Jesus fed 5,000. Jesus healed all these people with sicknesses. Do you know what you often see in a tiny little like half a sentence scripture after that? Then Jesus retreated to a lonely place and prayed. Then Jesus took two of his disciples and went away. Then Jesus went off by himself to have some time with God. All the time, Jesus has this heavy engagement. And he goes, okay, I need to work on my most important relationship now, so I'll see you later. And there are times where, as you read Scripture, you will see people are bringing sick people to him to be healed, and he'll go on longer than he should, longer than he should, longer than he should, and at some point he says, okay, I have to stop. I have to go and rest and recuperate, and I have to actually be in communion with my Father. Otherwise, I'm not going to have the energy 
I'm not going to have the strength. I'm not going to have the spirit in me that I need. I need to work on the relationship I have with God the Father. And if Jesus felt that, what do we need to do? I just want to go back to that Sydney story for a second. I don't want to suggest, by the way, that this story is... It's a bit like some of Paul's advice here. It's advice, okay? But for me, I I remember staring at that roof really, really vividly. It was a really dark moment in my life. Just staring at the roof. I was overwhelmingly sad, thinking, what is wrong with me? And I came back and I went to church, which, by the way, is in itself a choice. So good for you for making it here tonight. And I went to church, and I remember in worship just standing there and crying out to God from the depths of my heart and eventually being broken to the point that I just said, God, I don't care if I'm single for the rest of my life. I don't. Only let me be doing your will always, always, always. And that was what it took for me. And funnily enough, like a couple months later, I started dating Jenny because I stopped trying so hard to date. Now, that might not be the story for you. I can't promise you that you are going to find the person of your heart's desire. What I can promise you is that God loves you. He sees the desires of your hearts and he's longing to fulfill you. But he knows more than anything that you aren't going to be fulfilled by somebody else. You're going to be fulfilled by God. You are. You are. I know that sounds like pastor's cliche. I know it does. But it is 100% true. You will never be fulfilled by somebody else. God's plan for single people is exactly the same as his plan for married people. Pursue Jesus with everything in you and you will find your peace, your fulfillment, your satisfaction in him. We're going to come to a time of prayer and and some worship. And uh, and in that, I, I really... I really wanted to pray for people. I'm not going to, we're not going to do hands raised or anything like that tonight um, in terms of responding. I just wanted to pray for people who, they're single, but you're, in that singleness there's been some significant trauma. Um, you're, not, you're not just single because you, you know, you're not dating somebody at the moment. There's some significant trauma in your life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come down the front. But just know that I'm going to be praying for you in this time. Uh, and, and I would just ask, I would just really encourage you in this moment, if you can, do what I did when I came back from Sydney. I was 21 years old and I just gave, put my hands up and I said, Jesus, it's all yours. It's all yours. It's all yours. Do that. Just do that. We're going to have a slow moment here, a moment for you to pursue God in worship, to have that encounter with Jesus. Just let God minister to you. Like I said last week, he's longing to speak to you. He is longing to speak to you.